Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we are following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Invisible Hate. I am Sadia Khan. And I'm Asabar. And our today's story takes us to Mexico City in October 2005. A young man stares into the eyes of a mysterious stranger. The two men stand talking in a dimly lit nightclub in the Zona Rosa, the pink zone of Mexico City. The stranger is tall and handsome, charismatic and charming, drawing the young man to him. He feels he can trust him. Before long, an invitation has been extended and the two make their way to the stranger's apartment. But the night does not go as the young man had hoped. The next thing he knows, he wakes up, tied to a chair, his hands and feet bound together. The apartment has now become his prison, the charismatic stranger, his captor. He pleads for his freedom, but it's no use. Several days later, a black suitcase is discovered abandoned in the streets of Mexico City. Inside, the body of the young man. This is Invisible Heat. Welcome back to Invisible Heat, a weekly true crime podcast in which Asad and I attempt to uncover the ugly truths behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. Yeah, that's right, Sadia. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. And our goal with this podcast is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and the complexities of these unfortunate situations, whether or not these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. As will soon become clear, today's case appears to fit many of the criteria for a hate crime, but let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Sadia, how was your week? My week's been fine, Asad. As you know, I am still dealing with what happened a couple of weeks ago. My husband was in a motorcycle accident. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yesterday we went to see his motorcycle, which was finally shipped from Virginia and arrived in New York. And just looking at the motorcycle made everything more real Yeah, I can imagine. Was it destroyed? It was destroyed. It was totaled. And I got really emotional just looking at the bike. And I kept thinking about the alternate scenario and what could have happened. So it was a very difficult moment for me. But 
the irony is my husband still thinks it's okay to get back on the bike so oh my goodness so well, just to recap your your husband was on a road trip with his cousin and got into a motorcycle accident that was pretty serious down in what north carolina virginia virginia close enough <laughs> <laughs> and then he's he's been injured and he was in the hospital for a couple of days and now a couple of weeks later they've shipped the bike back yep wow and now he wants to get back on the bike. I mean, he physically can't right now, but he eventually wants to. Oh, my goodness. And that really makes me anxious. Yeah. Tell him to add a third wheel. I feel like that makes everything <laughs> everything safer. It doesn't look as cool, but I feel like that's what that's what he should that's do. That's not a bad idea. I said, how was your week? Yeah, I was good. You know, we went to a wedding in northern New Jersey and we had, I don't know if this has ever happened to you or anybody out there. So we had an Airbnb and uh, on the second day, a police officer knocked on the door. What? (laughs) Why? Yeah. (laughs) They were looking for the owner of the house. You know, we rented a house uh, for my family and I guess we couldn't really figure it out, but it seemed as if perhaps the owner of the house owed someone money and they were checking to see whether or not we were short-term or long-term renters. The funniest oh. thing was the sheriff, the the person that came, the police officer that came, I was like, yeah, we're renting it from Airbnb. First of all, he didn't know what Airbnb was, which was I thought was pretty oh, funny. Well, that's pretty um, messed up. The, the, the <laughs> second thing is he, he asked me to spell Airbnb oh, for wow. him, <laughs> which I was, it was, it's also funny because, you know, Airbnb, you know. Is, oh, my gosh. You, you spell it the same way that you say it. Um, but, yeah, so that was interesting, uh, an interesting start to our vacation. You're just kind of putting you at ease. I feel like, uh, yeah, maybe there's some sort of crime that we need to investigate that had happened um, with the, the owner of our residence. So I said basically he got the information and then left. Yeah, and then we never heard from him again. I obviously messaged the owner and Airbnb. But yeah, kind of crazy, huh? That's never happened to me before. I want to know what the owner said, I said. <laughs> the owner just asked if they left any papers. And for those of that have used Airbnb, sometimes they're like property managers versus owners. I couldn't tell whether the person that we were communicating with was actually owned mm. the house or was just a you know, property manager. So he said he would go investigate and whether he did or not, who knows. But yeah, very interesting. Mm. It just kind of left like we didn't know if we were going to get evicted at any point uh, during this time. Oh my gosh, that's quite interesting, Asad. So talking about crimes, should we get back to the case? Yeah, so let's get started, Salia. So it's mid-October 2005. A 25-year-old man named Raul Usil Marokin Reyes wanders the streets of Mexico City's Zona Rosa. Zona Rosa, translated as the Pink Zone, is known for its collection of cafes and nightclubs, many of which are frequented by members of the LGBTQ community. Marokin wanders into a nightclub. The music pulses through him as he weaves his way through a crowd of people and then he waits. Tall, thin and handsome, he stands at the edge of the crowd waiting to be noticed. And sure enough, a young man soon approaches him. His name is Jonathan Rezo Ayala, and he is a 20-year-old college student. Marokin introduces himself as Carlos. The two immediately hit it off. Marokin's charisma is undeniable, 
Ayala finds him charming. Before long, Marokin has invited the young man back to his apartment. Ayala accepts and the two leave the club together. The two men reach the apartment and then Marokin asks a very strange question. Asad, you'll be surprised as to what he asks. Oh man, okay. He basically wants to know if Ayala and his family have substantial financial resources. Oh, interesting. That's pretty fucked up. That to me yeah. is red flag, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. Anyways, the question obviously confuses the young man. He does respond though by saying that they do, in fact, have substantial financial resources. Wow, that's a, such an interesting conversation. I know. Why would you disclose that? First time meeting that? someone. Yeah. Why? Yeah, right. Like, just keep it to yourself. Say they're For poor. Sure. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe he was trying to impress him. Who knows? Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. You never know. He takes a seat while Marikin goes to get something. Now, this is becoming scarier by the minute. Right? The next yeah. thing Ayala knows, he wakes up tied to the chair his hands and feet are bound with white plastic straps Asad he pleads for his freedom but Marokin refuses to let him go a ransom request is sent to the family now he demands 50,000 pesos which is around $3,000 for their son's freedom but Marokin has overestimated their financial resources. The family doesn't have the 50,000 pesos to free him. Oh, no. For 16 days, the captive sits tied up in Marokin's apartment. It is believed that within that time, he's tortured and mistreated. And then the young man is killed. Marokin hangs his victim, depriving him of oxygen until he dies. On October 27, 2005, Rezo's body is found in a black suitcase abandoned near the Chapucano metro station. Wow, Sadia, this is a wild story. So basically this guy goes into a club, meets another person, and then they go back to the apartment and... Before he knows it, he's tied up and a ransom is sent to his family and they realize that they can't afford their son's freedom. And so then two weeks later, tied up, tortured, mistreated, and then hanged. Wow. Wild story. I mean, just really awful. It is wild, Asad. And I have so many thoughts and questions. Why would somebody go to a stranger's apartment? But then when I think about it, I feel like I am victim shaming and I want to stop myself Mm. right there and then. But what are your thoughts? I think for people that haven't done it, it's scary. I think that it does put you into a potentially compromised Mm. situation, right? And uh, But yeah, I think to your point, you know, he didn't do anything wrong it seems like he was interested in this person and wanted to get to know them better um he was just a victim here exactly and unfortunately the story isn't over because marokin doesn't stop there he kills a total of four victims oh wow every time the formula remains the same he wanders into nightclubs cafes and restaurants frequented by gay men He lets his victim make the initial 
approach so as to avoid suspicion. Oh my gosh, I said, this is so fucking clever of him, right? After charming them with his charismatic, manipulative personality, he invites them to either a hotel or his apartment. There he seeks information regarding their financial situation. And if they are unlucky enough to possess a substantial amount of money, he basically ties them up and holds them captive. Then he demands a ransom payment. And in most cases, regardless of whether or not their families pay for their release, he refuses to let them go. Oh my goodness. He tortures them for several days, hanging them with rope and eventually killing them through ligature strangulation. Wow. Asa, do you know what ligature strangulation is? You know, strangling them with with the rope. By the way, this earns him the nickname El Sadiko, the sadist. Further earning his title, one victim is found missing skin from his forehead. Oh my goodness. The skin had been taken off with a razor in the shape of a star figure. Some believe that it is an inverted pentagram, a satanic symbol, Asad. And after killing his victim, Marokin then places their body in a black suitcase and leaves it on the streets of Mexico City. There it remains until someone stumbles on it, discovering its horrific contents. I said, this is beyond the pale. We have covered so many cases. Right. But this is just so unfathomable. And it happens with serial killers, right? When somebody commits more than one crime. It's like a checklist on what he's doing to these victims. It's crazy that it's just so almost routine right and how did he get to this point where you know this is his what he thinks he needs to do or has to do it's just it's absolutely appalling and clearly he deserves that title of the sadist like just crazy you you mentioned that there were three victims who were yes i said so sadly three other individuals lose their lives to marokin on December 9, 2005, the lifeless body of 32-year-old Ricardo Hernandez is found abandoned in a suitcase near the Chapucano metro station. Hernandez had been a television station employee. Now, his disappearance on November 30th had kick-started an investigation carried out by the Specialized Sub-Prosecutor for Organized Crime Investigation, I think it's called CEDO, and the Federal Investigation Agency, AFI. According to a new source, Hernandez's family is only able to pay 28,000 of the 120,000 pesos, which roughly translates into $7,000 demanded of them. He is also held captive, but this time for about nine days before being killed on December 9th. Now, Armando Perez and Victor Beltires are El Sadico's final two victims. Both men are employees in their early 20s, both kidnapped mid-December of 2005. Asad, are you seeing a pattern? It's like he Mm. is committing crimes you know, frequently, closer to dates. He's not taking any breaks. Yeah, it's like one right after the other. That's exactly what I noticed is the timeline because the first one was, you said, mid-October. 
And then this one was in November, and now we're in mid-December. It's like back to back to back. So brazen. Exactly. And Perez is taken first, followed by Balderas just a few days later. According to another news source, Balderas's family pays the 8,300 pesos, which is roughly $480 ransom. It is believed that Perez's family too pays a ransom, but it's no use, Asad. Marokin kills them both anyways. That's so horrible. I mean, all of this is horrible, but the fact that then he takes the money and then kills them anyway. It seems like it doesn't matter to him if somebody pays ransom or not. Yeah, right. It's all about power, control. and You're absolutely right, Asad. This is about power, control. This is a very sociopathic behavior. Yeah. Agreed. Both men are found on December 23rd on the streets of Mexico City. Wow. Unfortunately, Asad, there are two other victims that we have yet to mention. Oh, whoa, okay. While Marokin kills four men, there are two additional individuals whom he kidnaps and thankfully later releases. Which to me is a bit weird, right? Why this distinction? Why this difference, dichotomy? I don't know what he's thinking, right? It's hard to get to a mind of a serial killer, but it, it seems like from the stuff that I've read or watched on TV, it's like for every additional thing that they do, they, they try to push the boundaries a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And so, yeah, uh, who knows what he was thinking in this in this scenario. Right, right. And according to press release by the PGR, the first of these kidnapping victims was a 28-year-old employee who Marokin met in a restaurant on the perimeter of the Zona Rosa. Marokin brought him to one of the hotels where he was later found with both his hands and feet bound together. Hmm. It is believed that the man's family paid ransom, though the amount was not disclosed. The 28-year-old was lucky as it is suspected that his kidnapping occurred when Marokin limited his criminal activity to kidnapping yeah. before he had begun to resort to murder. So you're absolutely right, Asad. He starts with kidnapping and then somehow it progresses to something a lot more evil and sinister and we don't know why that shift happens, right? Totally. And it happened so quickly, too. Like, oh, it just, it's heartbreaking. According to the same press release, Marokin also kidnapped a restaurant employee. He later released the man after learning that his family did not have the financial resources to pay ransom. I said, this guy is really confused. Yeah. Like, he's fucking confused. <laughs> like, I don't know what he wants. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't even know himself. Like, you know, he's probably just going on whatever in instinct adrenaline. Who knows it? Yeah. And clearly he's not in his right mind. You're absolutely right. And the interesting thing, he did threaten to kill the man if he reported the kidnapping. Mm. So he basically releases him, but then he threatens him not to report the crime. This brings Marokin's known victim count to six individuals, four homicides and two kidnappings. Well, I, I can't imagine, you know, obviously it's so traumatic for all these people like to be kidnapped, to be then bound and then 
potentially killed. I mean, for weeks being held. I just it's it's hard to fathom and think through what these people were going through. And these are only six victims that we know about. I, I'm sure there's probably more out there, right? That that we don't know about. Sadia, let's take a quick break, and when we return, I want to know more about Marikin himself. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Sadia, tell me more about this guy, El Sadiko, the sadist, uh, you know, Marokan. Yeah, so, as you said, I said, Marokan, El Sadiko... The sadist was born on September 1st, 1980 in Mexico. He grew up in Tampico with his parents. In an interview with a podcast, he claimed that he had a very normal, happy childhood. According to a news source, on January 21st, 1999, he entered the 15th Infantry Battalion of Tampico as a soldier. He remained in the Mexican army for about four years, reaching the rank of first sergeant. However, while in the army, he committed several crimes. Oh, that's interesting. This included robbery with violence, for which he allegedly spent 14 months in prison. In May 2004, he was discharged and returned to civilian life. According to another news source, the army is where American basically learned tactics to hunt people, aiding him in his actions, his work as a kidnapper. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to learn anywhere, you're going to learn it in, in the army or military, right? Exactly. Now, some sources do suggest that he probably is a psychopath. This essentially means that he lacks the ability to empathize with others in the way that most people, like you and I, Asad, are able mm-hmm. to. And he is not capable of typical emotional responses. As a result, he does not feel guilty for inflicting pain and harm on others. However, as far as public information goes, there has been no official psychological assessment of American. So this is merely speculation based on his behavior. Asad, whatever information we have so far, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that he has a bunch of issues, and I'm shocked that there wasn't an official uh, psychological assessment of him that was done. You know, and Sadia, to commit such horrific crimes and to not feel guilty about it, I mean, it's like essentially we rely on guilt, you know, as a means of keeping our moral compasses in line. And so you'd think that they're people walking around out there who are capable of committing such atrocious acts without feeling guilty. It's kind of really terrifying. And, you know, there's probably more people out there than than we know. So was he ever caught by police, Salia? Asad, he was. It took some time to identify and catch him, but they eventually did. The investigation began on November 30th, 2005 with the disappearance of television station employee Ricardo Hernandez. 
The investigation was conducted by the specialized sub-prosecutor for organized crime investigation and the Federal Investigation Agency. Neither of these organizations have released many details regarding the investigation, but through this process, the police were able to determine that Marokin was responsible for the series of kidnappings and homicides. So, on January 23rd, 2006, El Sadiko was finally tracked down and arrested in Mexico City. Basically, Marokin was eventually arrested, and quickly too. According to a press release by the PGR, during his arrest, the following objects were seized. Three bank cards that he had used to carry out ransom payments, a cell phone, several knives, and two identification credentials of his victims. That's crazy. Why is he carrying those around? That's I don't like... know. I said probably as trophies serving as reminders of his criminal quote-unquote victories. That's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, the EFI immediately brought him in for questioning. In the interview, Marokin confessed to having killed his victims through strangulation. Mm. He detailed the way in which he had lured and murdered his victims. Posteriormente decidimos ejecutarlo y lo asfixiamos, lo ahorcamos con una cuerda. He also claimed to have targeted homosexual men not because he was homophobic, but because they were easier targets to kidnap and murder. Oh, wow. Yeah. He even claimed to have done society a favor by murdering these men. Yeah, that's what a ridiculous thing to say. He said, and I quote, I said, I snuffed out four homosexuals that in some way were affecting society. Unquote. He argued that gay people are, quote, a bad example for kids, unquote. Uh, clearly, yeah, he's a homophobe and uh, was targeting these people. Yeah, that I'm sure we'll discuss more later, but yeah, just ridiculous. Markin then further attempted to justify his actions by telling AFI investigators that one of his victims was an HIV carrier. He claims to have done a good thing by preventing the HIV from spreading to others. He said, and I quote, in a certain way, I prevented the spread of the virus, unquote. This is just so awful. I mean, how many times have we heard from these murderers that are like trying to save society by by murdering someone or torturing or killing or whatever it may be? Like, it's just such a convoluted thought process and just so awful and earlier he was like oh i'm not i'm not a homophobic i'm not homophobic i didn't target these people because they were homosexual and then he goes on to say that yeah i'm trying to prevent the spread of hiv just like <laughs> so fucking ridiculous absolutely Asad. and get this markin wasn't in any way remorseful for his actions yeah clearly in fact according to a new source he said and i quote i would do it again just be more careful not to get caught and not make the same mistakes. My only regret is what my family is going through now. Unquote. What the fuck, Asad? Like, 
he has no remorse he has killed innocent people he doesn't feel guilty the only thing he's thinking about is his family it's shocking and not surprising and yeah i mean clearly this guy has no emotions and yeah ridiculous and i said i'm about to share something with you which will make you even more angry mm. now mark can view these victims as a kind of training for guess what bigger targets oh he hoped to improve his criminal career by gradually targeting richer more famous victims wow investigators also discovered that markin hadn't been alone in his conquests now this is a twist he had an accomplice but it is unclear what happened to him several sources claim he was never captured while others claim he was detained oh that's crazy so there was someone else that was helping him we don't know how he was helping them and this person is still on the loose potentially we have no idea that so this is really scary if there is someone else out there that could have been helping him that that person is potentially on the loose and uh it's very scary Absolutely Asad we are going to take another quick break but when we return we'll be discussing Marakin's trial Welcome back to Invisible Hate so Sadia we are now up to the point where he's captured and he's about to go to trial what was the trial like Unfortunately there is little information about the trial however we know that in September of 2008 he was sentenced to 128 plus years in prison for the kidnapping of six men and the murder of four of them Makes sense yeah it's great This sentence was later increased Oh wow Yeah so Markin will now serve around 290 years in prison in other words a life sentence yeah. as it uh, he's not going anywhere for he is life. not he is now serving his sentence in a federal district penitentiary in the Santa Martha neighborhood where he was transferred in 2010 that's great i mean he definitely deserves to be in prison for a long time and i hope that he gets the help and rehabilitation that he needs to not be so consumed by all this hate and anger and um murderous tendencies. So Sally, this is one of our first cases outside the US. So what are the hate crimes like in Mexico? I said that's a great question. Now in Mexico, hate crime laws appear to vary by region. These laws are far less nationalized than those of the United States. According to the Stonewall organization in Mexico City, the city in which Marokin committed his crimes hate crimes committed based on sexual orientation and or gender identity are considered an aggravating circumstances under the 2002 criminal code of Mexico City so it's unclear whether or not Marokin's crimes were officially labeled as hate crimes But this brings us to our primary question. Do we think these atrocious transgressions should be considered hate crimes? I think at a high level, you know, if we're looking at it from an American lens of what is considered a hate crime and and what not, you know, I think that 
yeah, to me, the fact that he targeted gay people and there were six of them and he clearly showed no remorse and said all sorts of stuff. I think to me, it's a no brainer that this was a hate crime. I mean, let's go go through it. So he explicitly stated that he intentionally targeted homosexuals. You know, he, remember, he said that he snuffed out four homosexuals that in some way were affecting society. So that's very kind of suggestive of being a hate crime. As if you can recall, sadly, he said that homosexuals were like easier targets, right? And so that that's why he was targeting that community because they were easier to kidnap and to uh, ransom and I guess to, to murder as well. So for me, like those two are the biggest things. How about for you? I said I want to add something. Now, it seems there is some kind of dichotomy when he says, oh, I wasn't targeting them because they they were part of the LGBTQ plus community, but I was targeting them because they were easier targets. To me, that also can classify as hate crime because he is making a judgment based on their perceived identity and how they may behave because of that, right? right. So yeah, calling totally. them easier target is also based off of their sexual orientation, which can also mean it was a hate crime, right? Yeah, totally. And in addition to that, as you said, we've quoted him saying nasty things about, you know, homosexuals, about the LGBTQ plus community. He even claimed that his actions benefited society because according to him, gay people are bad example for kids. So all of that makes me believe that this was indeed a hate crime. And to top it off, he did not feel any remorse, which may be because he is probably a sociopath and was committing a hate crime. All of that combined makes me think that this is probably one of the worst cases we've covered so far. Back to what we were talking about earlier, how quickly it escalated, right? I think that it was just like back to back to back. It's just so so crazy to me. I think we're in agreement um, that this should have been or could be considered a hate crime. Right, Sadia? Yeah, exactly, Asad. So where is Marokin today? So he remains in the Santa Marta Federal District Penitentiary where he continues to serve out his life sentence. And I said, honestly, we can only hope that his two surviving kidnapping victims and the families of his homicide victims are able to heal from the trauma and grief that they have endured which may be very, very difficult, Asad. I cannot even imagine what these people must be going through. And Asad, we have covered so many cases that focus on the LGBTQ plus community. And what we've realized is that although, you know, serial killers such as Marokin are thankfully relatively uncommon, targeted acts of hate and prejudice against members of the LGBTQ plus community are unfortunately far more frequent Asad and we see that across the globe right it's happening everywhere we see it happening in the US Mexico India Pakistan it is just so so sad but I will also caveat this with something else Asad now in Mexico due to the strong traditional Catholic influences still present in much of the country 
members of the LGBTQ community continue to face prejudice and intolerance, right? Mm. Yeah. We truly hope that in discussing this issue, we not only shed light on these victims and their stories, but we also encourage a greater discussion about prejudice, discrimination, hatred, and acceptance. I would really, really like our listeners, whoever is listening to us right now in this moment, to write to us, to share their thoughts, how these conversations, conversations that we are having on Invisible Hate, have influenced them, impacted them, changed their points of view. 100% agree with everything you just say. How, how can those listeners help, actually, Sadia? So listeners, here's what you can do. You can help support the protection and advancement of LGBTQ plus rights in Mexico by donating to the nonprofit organizations Yaj Mexico and Outright International. You know what I said? This is so interesting. I didn't even realize this is our first international case. Yeah. And we may be doing more international cases. So again, listeners, if there is a case outside the U.S., that you want us to cover, write to us. You can even DM us. By the way, I check our DMs every single day. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, thanks so much for listening to Invisible Heat. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story you think we should cover. We've said this a million times. We'll say it again. Reach out to us at info at invisibleheatpodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Yeah, and thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please, please share with a friend. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Emmanuel Monahan, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson, and we'll be back next week for another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I'm Asad Bhatt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Thank you.